Welcome back to season two of Extra Shot with Alicia Fernandez-Miranda, yours truly, the author of my what-if year, ex-CEO, sometimes intern, coffee-obsessed mom. Extra Shot is part podcast, part talk show, part games, advice, and whatever else my delightful guests and I can cook up for you. My aim is to bring some hilarity, inspiration, and ultimately a jolt of energy to your day. Because we all need an extra shot of something. What's in your cup? Hello, my extra shot friends. And welcome to this special mother-daughter episode with a mother-daughter duo that I adore. This week, I got two notes from kind of friends, acquaintances, people that I knew in other parts of my life. Both of them telling me about something amazing they did. One of them is going to perform in her community's stand-up comedy show. The other one auditioned for a musical as a grown-up. And both of them uh, said how inspired they were by my what if year to go and take these chances. Can I just tell you that I love hearing those stories more than anything else I think that's come out of the entire book writing process for me. So if you have a story about something that you didn't think you could do or that you had always wondered what if about and reading my book helped you get there, please, 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 please email me, reach out to me on Instagram. Just let me know. It really makes my day and I love it. So I'm interviewing mother and daughter team Emma Gray and Hannah Robertson today because they inspire me. Emma is the author of Zibby Books' November title, The Last Love Note. It has gone amazingly well for her. Watching the response to that book all over the U.S. has been extraordinary. And I got to hang out with Emma and Hannah in Miami, poolside and other places at the Miami Book Fair and with our Zibby retreat in Miami in November of last year. And she just really inspired me to open my heart, to read outside of my genre, because sometimes I don't like books where sad things happen, but God, her book is so beautiful. And her relationship with her daughter was just amazing, and I wanted to have them on my podcast and learn more. So let me introduce them to you. Emma Gray is a novelist, feature writer, photographer, professional speaker, and accountability coach. She has been writing fiction since she first fell for Anne of Green Gables at 14, and she's the author of two YA novels, a nonfiction title, and a parenting memoir. (laughs) Along with her school friend, dual ARIA-winning composer Sally Whitwell, Emma co-wrote two musicals based on her teen novels, which, like, I'm going to audition for them as soon as they come to Scotland. Please, Emma, I beg you. And as I said, she wrote her first adult novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It is a fictional tribute to their love, an attempt to articulate the magnitude of her loss, and a life-affirming commitment to hope. Emma lives just outside Canberra, that's in Australia, where her world centers on her two adult daughters, including Hannah, young son, loved stepchildren, and step-grandchildren, writing, photography, and endlessly chasing the Aurora Australis. And one of those wonderful daughters is Hannah Robertson, a rock star in her own right, and a PhD candidate at the Australian National University's Center for Social Research and Methods. Through her doctoral research, Hannah has been striving to create a safer digital dating landscape by advancing our understanding of dating app-facilitated sexual violence. Hannah has worked as a sessional academic, tutoring for a number of undergraduate criminology courses. Most recently, she was appointed as an Australian civil society delegate for the 67th annual UN Commission on the Status of Women. 
This year's priority theme, Innovation and Technological Change and Education in the Digital Age for Achieving Gender Equality and the Empowerment of All Women and Girls. And wow, UN Commission on the Status of Women, that is a long title for a theme. Hannah is amazing. Emma is amazing. I loved chatting with them, and I hope you love listening to it. Recording is in progress because I am here with two of my favorite Australians ever. Also in that list, Crocodile Dundee, of course, and Kylie. There's there's probably a few others. Kylie, Kylie and Danny Minogue, both. Absolutely. I'm glad you included Danny. Yeah, I love a bit of Danny Minogue. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having us both together. So basically, this all came because we were hanging out poolside in Miami at the Zibby retreat. And I was like, you know, it would be better than talking to you guys here by the pool, talking to you guys for everyone in the world to listen to about everything happening in your life. Well, it's a pity that we're not at a (laughs) Miami pool right now, isn't it? But it's lovely to see you online. You do. We had such a good time. We just hit it off, didn't we, immediately? We really did. And I mean, I suspect that happens to you both with a lot of people, though, because you are truly delightful. And your book, The Last Love Note, which came out in November, has just been sweeping the nation. I mean, I can't even keep up anymore, Emma, with all the great things that are happening with it. But the thing I do love reading is how people have connected with the book and seeing those reader quotes online. They also kind of make me cry, even though it's not my book. (laughs) It has been just, I think, you know, there's, when you publish a book, you've got so many doubts and fears coming into it. And in this case, I also had a lot of anxiety about the fact that I was talking about grief and loss, having lost my husband a few years ago. And to have just been embraced the way I have been by American and Canadian readers has, and Australian readers, of course, has been so heartwarming, so delightful. And it is always those little stories of a personal connection that you make with someone that is what you remember. It's it's not the book launch or, you know, the book tour, even though that was fabulous. It was it was individual people that I met along the way that really made a mark and that are still doing that. Even today I had a message from one of the readers who um who I mentioned in that post who had shared with me her husband's last love notes to her on mm. post-it notes. And you know, then we had a conversation about the loss of both our husbands and that's the sort of thing that, you know, it's giving me an opportunity to to talk about. So it's been pretty special. So you guys made Book Tour a family affair. You came over to the U.S. You went on some crazy road trips. I mean, Hannah, what was your experience like kind of being on this incredible trip with your mom, even before the book came out, just being in America, being together and having this adventure? I mean, you know, The Last Love Note is a book that is really hard one for our family just because it is rooted so much in mum's own personal experience. And I suppose how us as a family unit have made it through the last seven, eight years now. Yeah. So it really was beautiful to be able to bring Seb, my little brother, who is 13, along on his first big international holiday and show him the States. And that is a place that his dad loved so dearly. So it was incredible to be able to show him how spectacular New York was and is and experience all of the different sites of America. And I think what was really fantastic about the tour is that we got to go to so many 
small little parts of America that we otherwise never really would have had the chance to experience, like Irvington, Virginia being probably a highlight for both of us, a tiny little town of 400 people that, you know, you're never really going to have the opportunity to go to as a tourist. It looked like a Hallmark Christmas movie in real life. It was that sort of place and uh, it was just delightful and there was, you know, as Hannah said, a population of 400 people and I think 40 came to the talk, which is sort of 10%. 10%, that's amazing. (laughs) It was amazing and the book community there is is extraordinary. Lisa from the bookshelf Irvington moved from New York and started this little online bookstore and this little book group that's just grown and it was the warmest I mean, it was a cold night, but it was a beautiful, warm atmosphere and I, I just wish we could join their book group every month. You know, they, it was that kind of thing. It's so cute. So just beautiful. There was so many things like that. I mean, there was a Miami book fair where we met you and had amazing, had amazing, amazing time. time. And then speaking at the New York Public Library was just a highlight. Oh, look, our dog has come to join <gasps> the chat. Oh, hello, precious. It's for these moments <laughs> that we do a video version of this podcast as well. <laughs> Normally he's running around as soon as a Zoom call starts. So yes, it was it was just such a varied trip. And we we just had an amazing time. And of course, ending up at Zippy's bookstore in Santa Monica is just another dream. So feel really, really fortunate to have written a book that has the potential to reach a, a wide audience because grief is something that every single one of us will face if we've ever loved somebody. Yeah. I mean, this is, do you feel like the conversations that people are having now around grief were happening when you first went through your loss? Because it does seem to me like it's more in the public eye, but I don't know if that's just because I'm paying more attention to it. You know, like when you're engaged and then you notice everybody else is engaged or you're pregnant, you notice everybody else is pregnant. Like, do you, do you actually think there's been an uptick in people speaking more openly about their grief or is it just that I've woken up to it at this moment? It could be just that people are being more open about things on social media. I certainly felt at the time, and it was only, you know, seven or eight years ago now, that I I was searching for information. Mm. When somebody dies, when your life partner dies in midlife and you're widowed, I mean, to me, the term widow just felt alien. I thought, Mm. well, that's for old women, not someone who was 42 at the time. And So I did feel quite alone until I found another group of young widowed people in my area who were amazing, very supportive. But I hope that the conversation is changing and I certainly find that every talk I do, you know, there's a lot of crying, there's a lot of hugging because it's just something that we all experience. And I I lost my mum as well Mm. six months ago and I noticed going around on this tour that I'm able to speak about Jeff in a way that where I can hold it together and, yeah. you know, I've been speaking about Jeff now like this for, for all that time but whenever I mentioned mum, I, that was when I would find my voice faltering and yeah. tears from my eyes and it's just the freshness of that grief and and my lesson this year as well, last year was that just because you've been through grief once a really big loss doesn't mean you're equipped for the next one because every relationship that we have with people is different. Every every one of our personal connections brings a different kind of grief when we mm-hmm. lose it. Yeah, it's not like you're building up an immunity over time. No, 
No, I did know. I did, you know, we did learn a lot about how to handle ourselves and, you know, how to be compassionate with ourselves. And I think in that way it was easier second time around, but but it's just a different loss. I mean, I also wonder if part of it is knowing you can get through it, knowing you're going to survive it. You know, yeah. when you go through something really traumatic and you come out the other side, the next time you go through something really traumatic, you at least can say, okay, well, this is horrible now, but maybe one day it won't be so horrible. And mm. I'm not really sure if that's helpful at all, but it does it's, it does sometimes help me like, okay, I survived that, I can survive this sort of thing. It's like the feeling of coming through childbirth and thinking if I survive that, I can survive anything. But I'm sure, I'm sure Hannah, I'm sure Hannah's birth was just absolutely nothing went wrong and it was a total delight. <laughs> I was dramatic. I was no. a C-section. <laughs> and we were talking about that just today, that 25 years later, occasionally I get a little reminder about Hannah's birth. But but it's <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there is definitely something about having gone through a, your worst fear or something really, really difficult. It's it makes you for a start, just let go of caring about a whole lot of stuff that used mm. to seem important, isn't. It also makes you value things a lot faster and, and a lot more and so the things that really matter. And I think for me it has helped me to think, well, if I want to do something or go somewhere or try something, why not? Life is short. So there's this real learning in just the time that we don't necessarily have ahead yeah. of us and throw things out. I mean, I've got this this chart on my kitchen wall that we all sort of look at and contribute to about risks and chances mm-hmm. to take this year. A chart with 100 spaces for various different risks and chances and just to try and get comfortable with failure and rejection. I think that's so important to demonstrate for the kids. I'm obsessed with that. I mean, Hannah, do you feel like you've internalized a lot of that in your own life? Has it helped you be someone who's better able to be risky. I think about this all the time. Like, are my kids going to be, well, are they actually going to learn from all the mistakes that I made or are they just going to have to make them all over again? (laughs) I'm not sure. I feel as though I have, so like the experience of going through, I suppose, my stepdad passing away, it was at a very critical time for me. I was in the middle of year 12, my final year of school. So I feel as though that certainly forced me to grow up quite quickly in a way that my peers might not necessarily have. But I'd say that it really instilled in me a sense of resilience that I have taken forward into other aspects of my life. And then I also have mum setting the most incredible example, just putting herself out there at every single opportunity that she can. I am a very rejection sensitive person. So that's something that I'm really trying to overcome this year. And I suppose having her as a role model who is out there, like walking the walk when it comes to this sort of stuff is very helpful. And I suppose, you know, I think it's good to learn to sit with failure. That's something that I hope to be able to do. It's a good goal. Watch this space for years time. <laughs> so is it a hundred collective family risks and rejections? No, it's, it is, I mean, I set that for myself, but what I like to do is get my son, for example, to write up on the chart things that I have done because he also finds a bit bit of a challenge in getting feedback at school and that Mm. kind of thing. But this is certainly something that I wasn't good at before that I've learned and it's by doing this and putting things out there and realising, you know, that it's almost a numbers game. The, The more things 
there, the less you care about each individual thing in a way. So it takes the sting out of it a little bit. But you also learn over time. I mean, last year, my success and failure rate was 40% successes and 60% failures. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah, I thought so. And I think, but at the same time, I think it's really great that the kids are looking at that and seeing it's not everything you touch turns to gold. They've seen me have years of, of, you know, struggling and, and, you know, as any writer will tell you that the rejection roundabout Mm -hmm. that you go through as a writer. Yes. That is, and, and also, having a piece of creative work out there and being thick-skinned enough to be able to tolerate reviews and and all of that sort of thing, you know, that's all something that you learn with practice over time. I think it's a muscle that you have to develop. And I also, I was more like, what did you call yourself? Rejection sense, failure sensitive. Like that was absolutely rejection sensitive. sensitive. (laughs) I really, really hated being rejected. And then when I started writing, I realized, oh, well, rejection is just part of this game. And it got to the point, I remember I queried so many agents for my what if year that I would get these rejections through and I like had forgotten that I had queried those people. I had to go back to my spreadsheet and be like, oh, right, I did. Because, you know, if you're not getting rejected, you're not doing it right, basically. Like you're not putting yourself out there enough. And it's a good lesson to teach kids because it links back to resilience, right? Like that is, you know, part of resilience is being able to get back up when you fails. So I love that you're doing that. What what are the, are they all professional risks and chances or some of them personal? Well, at the moment, they're all professional. But last year I had other things on there like I'm obsessed with the Aurora Australis and taking photos of it. And for seven years, I tried to capture this and fail every single time. And Hannah was dragged out on a lot of these expeditions <laughs> earlier on and we go into the middle of nowhere in the dark and I didn't know how to use the camera, didn't understand how the solar flares even work, so there probably wasn't an aurora to even capture. And then I occasionally would go out on my own and I'd get spooked and I'd race home and not even try. But seven years after doing this, I finally succeeded and now I've captured that something like, I don't know, 14 or 15 times. Wow. Put that up. And, it's and you know, and if I went back into the dating scene, I could almost use it for that. I could put that up. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's just about getting in. That's a book right there, actually. <laughs> yeah. That is a book. Yeah. We can call off that. <laughs> Add it to your next, next book. Let's do a mother-daughter dating book. H- Hannah is an expert in online dating. She's doing a, a doctorate. By that, she means I'm not an expert online no. data. No, no. I'm researching online dating. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I actually, I preferred it the first way, but this way is also good. <laughs> so, yes, that could be an interesting book, couldn't it? Yeah. Oh, hey, here's a reminder. If you want to hang out with me in the beautiful highlands of Scotland and the busy, fabulous streets of London, I still have a few spots left on my small, intimate retreat that I'm hosting in October 2024. We're starting in London. We are taking the sleeper train up to the north, and we're spending three nights at Kinloch Lodge doing the most amazing things, eating incredible food, and being served by people who are not me, which is going to be a bonus. I would love to have you on this retreat. You can check out my website, aliciafmiranda.com for more info. But please book without delay because once it's full, it's full and then you can't come anymore. But I would love to see you there. I think that would be an amazing book. I would read that book for <laughs> I sure. I don't want to do it. It's the only thing. In fact, I watched a video that someone sent me about a mother who was a widow with sort of young girls like, uh, you know, this age or a bit younger, and they posted her having a complete meltdown and she was yelling, everybody in the world is boring. And it was that, you know, she lost her husband and nobody else was good. And she kept re- 
repeating this. And I thought, I love this woman. I completely <laughs> agree with her. Everybody is gross. Uh, present company accepted and then she but then there was all these comments underneath the post saying how could you you know allow yourself to become so emotional in front of your children and I thought that is disturbing that because these kids have seen me completely lose it and have meltdowns many times and they know that I recover and they know that it's a healthy thing to do so yes we could put together quite a lot of meltdowns and we could probably have our own sitcom (laughs) <laughs> we could, it wouldn't even be reality TV. Do you think that's a generational thing? Like, did you see your parents melt down in front of you, Emma? I, I never did. No, no, I didn't. And I remember my sister and I thinking that our parents were sort of perfect parents, mm. or very patient parents. And then we had children and thought, what is wrong with us? Why is this so hard? Yeah. And I remember we'd cry and we'd get, you know, exhausted. We wouldn't know what we we're doing. We'd do things wrong. And then one day, we said to mum, why was it so much easier for you? And she said, it wasn't. She said, you didn't see all the times I was crying in the shower. And we both looked at each other and thought, if only we had, we wouldn't feel yeah. this. You know, I think it helps them to see that life is is a struggle at times and that that's normal and that you just pick yourself up and go on and, and that you ask for help and all that sort of thing. I mean, you guys do have this very like Lorelai and Rory Gilmore close relationship <laughs> it seems that's that's by the way the highest compliment i could pay anybody that is. so yeah i mean do you do you ever fight you don't do you oh my goodness hannah has recently moved back in temporarily and she re- she just had a week in sydney house sitting someone else and we both really enjoyed that week yeah <laughs> absence makes the heart grow fonder <laughs> so okay but but like is it like what do you fight what do you fight about laundry i think Look, I love my mom. I just think that we have spent, we spent the entire book tour together living in very close quarters, closer than I think any family unit could withstand for as long as the two of us and my 13-year-old brother, three of us in a in a hotel room. It sounds like a party, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. But so we, yeah, traveled for that whole month together. And then I guess... I have been temporarily back at home and we're kind of living out of each other's pockets. And I think, you know, that comes with having an argument or two here and there. But I think I definitely still will miss mum when I do move back out. And I think I am certainly grateful that we have the kind of relationship where when I did need someone somewhere to stay for a short period of time, the door was always open. And there is probably a lot of people in the world who aren't close with their parents and don't have that ability to lean on them in terms of needs. So I am certainly very grateful for that. But she does know I love her at the end of the day. I did see this quote the other day that said, remember to be kind to your mum because it's her first time living life too. Oh my gosh. And I think that you know, thinking thinking about like what you were saying before about how you yeah. thought that your mum had it all together, mm-hmm. like growing up. I think that quote's really important and really hits yeah. home because like here I was thinking that you were perfect my whole first few years of my life when I was really little. And yeah, I think it's, you know, really important to understand that we're all humans, we're all going through it and parents aren't picture perfect. And they do, not that I haven't seen your struggles because We've both picked each other off up off the bathroom floor many a time. But it, yeah, we, it's been really lovely to have you back because we've been doing things like in the mornings we'll go out and sit on the veranda and both do our work together and and oh. with one of our neighbours. 
well. And we, we've just, like, there are so many lovely parts. And Hannah's just cooked a delicious dinner. She's a really great cook. And oh, so she's that, useful to have around. That's good. She's useful. <laughs> well, she's useful, but she also makes a big mess. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But um, her company <laughs> Beautiful. And, you know, I'm hanging out with a teenage boy who is a gamer. So I get the occasional, that's it for the whole yeah. day. So it's <laughs> nice to have somebody who <laughs> But yeah, it's, it is lovely. And I think that quote that you just said has absolutely touched me. Like that, that is so, and it's not only about the fact that we don't know what we're doing at all, we're like that we're making it up as we go mm. along as parents. It's that we are people too. And Hannah is really good at that. She she and her sister Sophie, who's 23, so they're two years apart, my chief supporters. And and they, you know, they talk, we talk through the career stuff and the challenges and and the personal stuff. And it's, you know, they say not to be friends with your children, but they only mean when they're little. We are now all friends, and it's really just something I'm so grateful for. I just adore it. So hopefully she'll move out very soon so we don't wreck that. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. I remember I was, and I I still like, not even envious, but the part of child rearing that was most exciting to me was the idea of having grown-up children. Like I'm not really a baby person and, you know, obviously we got through it. Like it was fine. And now they're adolescents and that brings its own interesting challenges. But the idea of kind of having these adult children to hang out with that you really like just always seemed to me like such a fun thing. I think if I could have skipped all of the early parts and just gone to that stage, I would have like five kids. (laughs) I remember one time a few years ago, we were going out to lunch probably after a doctor's appointment that I made mom come to with me. And she goes, Hannah, I've just realized that the whole point of having children is so that you can go out for lunch with them on a weekday. (laughs) 100%. That sounds great. Yeah, it was this amazing realisation, this is another adult. And, yes, she's a bit less experienced than me, but in other ways I'm less experienced than her. And I can't tell you the amount of times over in the US that I don't think I would have made it through without her. She did all the driving and, you know, she's just... Just just even using Instagram, all that kind of stuff, you know, that you're just going, what am I doing here? I'm starting to feel that way. You know, I've turned 50 and I feel like I've lost my capacity to follow the world half the time. But, Hannah, you know, the younger generation, they're so switched on. And I I was leaning on her a lot just to get around because during that book tour I was obviously talking about a lot of really emotional things and I had a lot of, I mean, it was a big deal for me emotionally to do that and to be talking about a book that came about as a result of, you know, the biggest loss I've ever had. And it would have been quite, I was thinking about it afterwards, it would have been a lonely book tour on my own to have gone around and done about the kids. Somebody said at one of the book clubs, the one in Irvington, they mentioned the fact that I was talking really openly about loss in front of my child, in front of my kids, but particularly my younger son, my son who's 13, and was that it was they were kind of angling to say, do you think that's appropriate? You know, mm. that kind of and I thought there is nothing these kids haven't seen. They were here when Jeff died, yeah. you know. That, yeah. You can't remind them of it. You can't, you know, it's already front of mind. They know they've been through the worst. Talking about it is really important. Yeah. Guys, we could go on all day. I think actually I would like to figure out. So I'm I'm pretty much your age, Emma. So I don't know how you would adopt me into your family. Maybe I could be like a surrogate 
sister or something like that. I want to move in with you guys and start a TV show and be on a sitcom and do the hundred dates. We just won't tell my husband about that part. It'll the rest of it. (laughs) No, but you can do friend dates. I've seen that people doing like 50 dates in a year and they just like are meeting new friends and Bumble, not to plug them, but love Bumble. Um, They... (laughs) have a BFF feature, which is like for when like you move to a new city and you don't have any friends and it's about like finding like-minded individuals. Oh, what a good connect. idea. Very cool. So we can just do it in that capacity. I feel I feel like I need to do an Australian tour. It's it's happening. You it's do. happening in my life. You do. Certainly. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, both of you, thank you so, so much. Last love note you can get. Emma's got more books on tap that are coming your way. Your next one is out. Do you have a pub date for it yet? It'll be November, I think, this year. Pictures Ooh. of you, it's called. So you're basically just going to have to do every Thanksgiving in America, I guess. Is what I think saying. so. Well, a I book, think a really book each November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're thinking about that it just would make the most sense for us to live in New York full time. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Watch this. Can't wait. Thank you guys. Loved having you on. Thank oh, you so thanks, much. Alicia. And that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Extra Shot with Alicia Fernandez Miranda. A very special shout out goes to my superstar team at Texture Sound for their support. Find out more about what I'm up to, my writing, events, and even the retreat I'm planning in Scotland at my website, aliciafmiranda.com or Instagram at aliciafmiranda. I'll talk to you next week.